Hello, welcome to Only God Rescued Me, my journey from satanic ritual abuse. I'm Lisa Meister, and I am so delighted to bring to you Esra Victor Mary Knight. Mary is a survivor, and she is a filmmaker, and she has journeyed her um, whole experience of trying to decide if the memories were real or if she was false, and, and she has an actual... Move uh, film out on it called Am I Crazy? My Journey to Determine If My Memories Are True. Can you imagine doing that in such a public way? So I know you'll be very excited to hear what Mary has to say. Mary, welcome. Thank you. Can you tell me about the abuse growing up that you endured? Yes, it happened. It's my youngest memory is of being abused. I was abused by family members, uh, including my mother, my father, uh, grandparents. Um, and also I was trafficked. So I was sold to groups of men. Um, I was sold to men individually. I was um, I was sexually abused by women as well. And I did see money pass hands on, um, I saw my mom take money from men. So I, I know it was trafficking. Um, and I, um, I, I was involved in, uh, I, I was victimized in ritualistic abuse. I witnessed other children being ritualistically abused and I was too, I was tortured. Do you know how long that went on for you? It was my entire childhood from my earliest memory and including teenage years. Were you aware of it while you were growing up? Like, were you no. thinking during the day, I am a survivor of abuse and sex trafficking and. No, I, I lived, uh, my parents lived a very double life. We went to church three times a week. My um, mother was a Sunday school teacher and women's Bible school teacher. And my um, father was um, an elder uh, church leader. Um, and um, I, I didn't know that I, I, um, I, I was afraid a lot but I had no um, way of connecting that. So what happened was uh, when the abuse was, the only time I knew I was abused was while the abuse was going on. And that's how totally my mind uh, shut it off at other times. And which helped as far as I was able to excel in school. I mean, I was able to, not think about the abuse at other times and function. Which is actually normal for ritual abuse survivors. Correct. A few of them I've heard actually knew all the way through, but it's very rare. Well, yeah, and the ones who did know all the way through usually have a harder adult experience because it's just so hard to acquire the kind of skills that you need for life during childhood if you are consciously aware of the abuse all the time. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that that's a survival strategy for kids 
to oh. forget or to not think about it and to really compartmentalize that abuse. It's interesting. Yeah. So then how old were you when it started eking into your conscious? I was 37 years old. I was uh, married, uh, my first marriage. I was a mother and I um, had a master's degree in social work. I was already, I was testifying in um, child-related custody cases. And uh, I was appointed by judges to do parenting time evaluations. Um, I had uh, training in, in, I'd already placed 100 children in adoptive homes. I had training in play therapy. Um, so those skills helped me when I did remember because I was able to use some of my play therapy skills to help me, you know, recover. Wow. Did, so your film is Am I Crazy? So how did you feel? Like, did it start with flashbacks? How did it come out for you? I am fortunate to have five family members who have similar memories to mine, all with recovered memories. My yep. father's sister disclosed to my father and my mother. And my parents said um, that, told me about it and said, well, we just don't believe her. Um, well, we're never gonna see her again. We think she's crazy. And so I called my aunt and asked to meet with her. And that was the moment that my life changed because I knew she didn't tell me I had been abused, but she told me I'd witnessed abuse as a child. And I knew it was true. And I knew I would have to come to terms with that. So I, um, I got therapy, I got hypnosis. I went to an excellent hypnotist and the, um, I used the tapes in my film, um, but the hypnotist did not lead me into believing something. And I, I'm glad I have those tapes. I'm glad I've just transcribed them. I have them available for people to listen to. Um, and I did hypnosis because I had young children. I didn't know which relatives I needed to protect them from. And I needed to find out quickly so I could protect my kids. Wow. So that's the route I took. I, I didn't, I had um, six hypnosis sessions in all, and that was over the course of a few months. Uh, and then after that, the memories just came and kept coming and continue. Sometimes I have memories today. So I'm, uh, I'm, 60, am I 66 or 67? I'll be 67, I'm 66. So, I mean, we're talking like 30 years ago, I had those memories um, and I'm still having some, but I can handle them mo much more easily now. I really have, something I wanna emphasize for the viewers is I really do have a good life now. So there's hope. Um, I mean, it's really hard to recover, but I, my life now is, is very good by, by any um, way of measuring one's life. Um, I have a happy marriage, my second marriage. Um, I've been married since 2010. My husband has been supportive of my films. Um, we have 
you know, we have a home I, I love. I, um, I have a great view. I like views so I can look out and see mountains. And, oh, wow. Um, I walk and hike and um, live in the area where I like. Um, and I uh, do yoga almost daily. I um, read lots of novels as well as write and work on my films. I like that. We need to have hope because for so many years of healing, I always say it's not as bad as being abused, but it's a very close second, you know, just the excruciating parts of healing. It's, it's very difficult. It is. So what made you decide to make the film? I was taking a documentary class and at the same time, and it was the same year, it was 2013, and I decided to really get serious about the two projects I still want to do. And one was a memoir, and one was um, uh, a documentary. And I, you know, I just wanted to tell about my childhood. So I took the documentary class, and I was told that you can't really make a documentary just about your childhood because it's all in the past. You need something that's happening on camera. Could be maybe my advocacy work, but it needs to be something current. And I was kind of disappointed about, I was disappointed about that. And then I also applied for a MFA program, Masters in Fine Arts in um, creative nonfiction. So when I applied for that, I apparently did well enough on the, oh, I was supposed to do a literary critique and apparently I did well enough on that. I did well enough on my um, personal essay, but my writing sample was not up to par. So they suggested I just take one of the things I was writing about and write about it more. So I got a second chance. So when I did that, I got an acceptance letter, but the same day I got it, I got an email saying that it would not be accepted because I didn't um, have any, well, basically what I see as proof. I didn't have like obituaries. I didn't have, and it was about a murder. I didn't have a ritualistic murder. Um, and I didn't have um, newspaper articles. Well, my, my uh, parents and the medical doctor who was involved that day were never apprehended. So um, no police records, nothing like that. And I, I really, I, I've written, I'm just now writing about that in um, an essay in my memoir. It's an essay on creativity. Um, but uh, which is available if any of the viewers want it, they can email me. Um, but my, at that point, it's like, I thought they don't believe me. And then I'm like, well, why don't I, why haven't I hired a private investigator to, um, to investigate this crime that happened in 1964? Um, so I call my, husband and said could we just you know hire invest well I said I want to hire a private investigator and he's like that's fine you know he's very supportive of what I do but then a couple days later and I guess he thought about how to hire someone a little bit 
or he thought about it some, but he said, Mary, this is going to cost a lot of money. I mean, and he's not, he was someone who, if he gets started on something, he wants to see it through to the end. He said, this could cost like $50,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I knew they weren't, I mean, really, what I really knew and why I hadn't already hired someone is they're not going to find anything from 1964. It's very unlikely. And I thought, if we're going to spend all that money, I want to make a film. So the next morning, I woke up with the title, Am I Crazy? And it would be a documentary where on camera, I talk to people who don't believe my memories are true. And I let them ask any question they want. And I honestly, you know, reevaluate my memories because if I don't want to go the rest of my life believing something that's not true. So that's when I started. And I was, uh, when I got started, I called someone from the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, which if some of your viewers don't know what that is, it's, I think, a ridiculous name, but it's basically an organization saying memories like ours are false. And um, they've done a lot with the media. They um, uh, were created by uh, an accused parent or, or by, yeah, by a parent of someone who um, had recovered memories. And um, in either 1991 or 1992, it was just a little before I remembered. And it really changed how media and how society was viewing um, recovered memories. This organization did. Uh, so anyway, I called and got a hold of someone from that organization of the founder. And she said she'd let me interview her on camera. So that's how it started. And then I was able to interview Dr. Elizabeth Loftus um, and other people from the, um, who had been involved with the foundation. Now um, the Dr. Loftus is interesting because yes. she was brought in as an expert on the Ghislaine Maxwell trial yes. when they were putting forth false memories. So this is a big deal. You talk to her and yes. this is very relevant today. What was your take on your talk with her? Did she have good points? Did, you know, can she back up this false memory thing? No, she can't. No one can. The, the, the thing about, I mean, she questioned my memory. She didn't. But like one of the questions she asked me is, how do you know your memories are true? Well, I told her about my aunt. Like I've just told, you know, like I just told about my aunt, but also not just my aunt, but I have uh, four cousins with similar memories. So, I mean, I have five relatives with memories similar to mine. And I didn't know the memories before I, I mean, I, they waited to tell me things until I asked. So I, after I'd remember something, I'd call one of them. So then she said, well, I don't know if that's true because I haven't talked to your aunt and cousins. I said, but you asked me why I believe my memories are true. And I talked to my aunts and my aunt and my cousins. Um, so, I mean, that wasn't a strong point when she's like, well, I don't know if it's true because I haven't talked to them. Um, and, uh, and then, I mean, there wasn't anything that I was asked by her or by the other people from the organization she was on the board for, the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, that 
hadn't already asked myself. I was a trained investigator when I remember my views. I was doing uh, divorce custody evaluations. And I, I testified, uh, at this point I've testified over a hundred times. So I, I know how to ask myself questions and um, I'd already evaluated it myself. So there was nothing new that came from her asking questions. But one of the interesting things that's brought out in the film is Marilyn Vanderbeer, who was Miss America in 1958, recovered memories and about uh, about four years after she was crowned Miss America. And uh, so in the early 60s, she didn't talk about those memories until the 90s. She didn't talk about them publicly until the 90s. She talked to her family about them. Um, and um, so she's being discounted, which doesn't make sense because they're saying that all these people just remember things in the 90s, which is not true. Many of the people remember things much earlier. They just hadn't talked about it publicly. And the former Miss America is an example of that. And obviously, she's not someone who needed more attention because she'd already been Miss America. And she, you know, there was no financial gain to her. Um, so, so I asked about her and, um, I really encourage viewers to watch my film because it's really her answers about the former Miss America, maybe some of the things that you're getting from people. And I mean, if the former Miss America who without question didn't need more attention because some of us are said, well, you just want attention. Well, she didn't need attention. And she's discounted just the same. And she has a sister who has continuous memories. The former uh, Marilyn Vanderbeer's sister has continuous memories of the abuse that they, they both suffered from their father. Um, so if, if that story is not believable, then whose could be? I mean, what level of proof could you have? Her story uh, actually helped me Yes, because like her information exploded in 91, which is the year I got married. 99 was when the repression broke down for me and I had sexual abuse memories for nine, just sexual abuse in my home with my dad for nine months, got a hold of her story because I'm like, I don't understand what repression is. I've never heard of this. And same thing with you. Please tell me I'm crazy because right. I didn't believe it myself I just it's like this can't be true and then reading her story it's like oh it, it was real helpful for me very validating it's like it's not just me you know that you can just not be conscious about abuse for years and then yeah. it just comes out so that was she was a big piece of my healing yes she's she's my she's a hero of mine and I told her on camera um I was able to interview her by phone and uh, I told her she's, she's my hero and that I want to do for ritual abuse survivors, what she's done for incest survivors. And so I'm really glad to be on this program and I'm really thankful my, that um, God's given me this opportunity to speak out. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I believe God's going to expose this just like he did sex trafficking at the high levels 
you know, with the whole uh, Maxwell thing and all that she was doing with the Catholic Church. No, there's no way priests are abusing kids, you know, and that got finally exposed. Like, I, I, I believe God is systematically exposing these things. And I believe SRA is the next one, the last one to be exposed yeah. so like having these opportunities to have podcasts or your films that you're making watching your film i was so yeah. excited i'm like this is, is so important and then uh bessel van der kalk who did the body keeps the score was also another important element in my healing because you know as sra survivors we have a lot of inexplicable body problems medical yes. things pain i had a stroke and it hit the wrong side of my brain the doctor's like no you should have been paralyzed on the other side you know yeah. like it just doesn't make you know it baffles everybody so we have all these weird things that doesn't make sense to doctors and then reading his book i'm like it's making sense now and then yeah. you interviewed him in your film so I how did so that go to get yeah. to interview him and you I'm asked so him about sra Yes, yes. And I asked him about DID too. I didn't include that footage, but yes, he's, he definitely, he knows that SRA happens as, as really most therapists, most good therapists do because they see people like myself and like you and, and um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he definitely knows that it, that it happens. Um, and he's a, like, a world-renowned psychologist. I mean, he's top tier. He's a psychiatrist, world-renowned, definitely. I, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was really glad to be able to interview him. And um, I'm, I'm just really thankful to have that footage. I'm going to, um, I am working on a revised expanded edition. It has just, a, it has a little bit more footage of him in it. And so that will be coming out later this year um, by this summer. So um, I have any information about my films is gonna be on my website, marynightproductions.com. So go to that if you wanna know more about the revised extended version. Um, and it's, um, I, I, I interviewed um, two other people who are not in the, it's going to be an hour and a half long instead of an hour long. Um, so I encourage people to see that. Um, and um, it, I don't know yet for sure if it will be on Real Women, Real Stories YouTube, but that's a good place to see the version I have up now because it is free on YouTube, Real Stories, Real Women. Real, no, Real Women, Real Stories. And I know you're going to put that... Um, that information up for your viewers yeah check our show notes because i'm going to have all the links there and you have a memoir coming out yes becoming mrs brown essays by a child sex trafficking survivor and um what i did it to write my memoir is i have i have essays with individual trigger warnings so that you, some of the essays are extremely triggering and, um, and those wouldn't be what you'd want to read before you go to bed at night or whatever, but, uh, and maybe not at all. Those may be ones that your therapist could read and tell you that 
I have some similarities to you um, rather than you actually read them because some are extremely triggering. And then others have low tr trigger warning. Um, Becoming Mrs. Brown um, is an essay where I tell about an elderly neighbor who helped me. I'd walk to her house for breakfast. And this was before I started kindergarten. So she showed me love and she really saved my life, even though she didn't rescue me, but she saved my life because I, I learned what love is from her. Wow. Um, and I see the world much differently because of her. And then I end that essay with a, with, um, a call for action to help children of today. And one way I do that is I'm a foster parent. So, um, so each essay has, um, has its own trigger warning and can be read individually. Um, that will be coming out later this year. And if you can't afford to buy one and you want to read it, email me, which my email is on, uh, you, you'll have my email up, marynighthappy at yahoo.com. Email me and I'll put you on the list so I can send you a PDF of the full memoir when it's, when it's uh, finished. Um, also, two of my essays are currently up on my website, marynightproductions.com. And one of them tells about an instant of ritualistic abuse and murder. It's highly triggering and it's labeled as such. And the other one is psychological benefits of delayed recall, which tells how my life is better because I had delayed recall and, and recovered memories. And then I also have a page on that, how I healed, which tells this list of like 22 items of all the things I've done to heal. Um, and that may be helpful to you. So I'm, I'm expanding that into a longer essay. And again, if you email me, I can send you my, uh, it's how I healed from fibromyalgia and, and um, trauma-induced chronic pain. So I'm glad to email that to people. Um, I, it's much easier to be happy now that I don't have the severe chronic pain that I used to have. Um, and I, I did a lot of things to heal. I considered it my part-time job to heal. So the payoff was really great, but I, the payoff didn't come right away. Um, so I, as some of your viewers may be still working uh, really hard at um, getting well. What would you like to say to survivors? I want to give hope because I do just have such a good life now and it's better than I ever dreamed life could be. Um, I, but also I want to give hope to those who are in the midst of really struggling because as I was writing my essay, I'm working on my essay, how I healed now and expanding it, but when I think back on those times when I was in so much pain and I had not, I, I didn't know how I was going to support myself. It was after my divorce and I, I had little money and I just had to depend on God so much. And 
there was, there were times I would just close my eyes and let myself think about how God sees me, how beautiful I am to God. And those are wonderful times. And when I, my first marriage uh, involved domestic violence, and when I, when God told me, God just said, I, I prayed, like, make my marriage better, help my marriage be better. And I, we'd been in counseling for 10 years out of our 23-year marriage, so off and on. Um, God finally said, you'll have a wonderful marriage, but it's not this marriage. It's not, not, to, this, not to this man. And that I needed to leave. And um, it was, that, you know, that promise that I'd have a wonderful marriage, I, I hung on to, um, even though it didn't seem likely um, at times. Um, and I do now. So um, I, I'm glad I kept, kept working at, I, I considered my healing a part-time job and it paid off huge, but not right away. <laughs> Can you um, talk about going public is very terrifying. Survivors are programmed never to tell. No one will believe you. We will kill you if you tell. How did you deal with that as you went public? I was really scared. Even like in, uh, I was interviewing people from the False Memory Syndrome Foundation in 2014 and 2015. And I remember I was living uh, my husband and I lived in a walk-up apartment then, and I just remember coming down the stairs thinking, are they going to be, like, protesting around my, you know, around my home? Am I going to walk out and see all these picketers? And I had all those fears, but it didn't happen. And one thing I did was I, I did it in... It, it's really gutsy to do it on camera, but it's also my protection because I have, I have the footage of what they said, um, but, uh, and releases signed by them. I had legal counsel and they signed releases drawn up by my attorney ahead of time, ahead of the interviews. But, um, but also the other thing that didn't have to do with it being a film or whatever was once I reached a broader audience, almost everyone believes me. I've gotten hardly any negative statements from anyone. I, I've gotten, you know, a few, but so very few. And like, if, if, if viewers want to go on to the, um, the YouTube channel that has my film um, and look at those comments, they're almost all wonderful positive comments. Um, I have two films on that. One is um, why, why My Mother Molested Me. And it's, it's a two-minute clip. It's, it's, it's very triggering. So be careful if you choose to watch it. And maybe you don't want to watch it. Maybe you just want to look at the comments. But I get people saying, I love you, Mary. And people with concerns for me. 
the people who are saying you're not going to be believed are, I mean, they can control a certain amount. Your perpetrators can control a certain amount of people. And if that's all who know about it, if it's only your family, your siblings who, you know, your parents, if it's only people related to your perpetrators who you go public to, you're not going to be believed. But when you get out of that realm, when you're talking to people who are in no way related to your perpetrators, you're very likely to be believed, is what I found. And so you need to go a little further, I, um, a little further than that, um, and, and find the right people. But that's hard because um, when I first the first way I went public to an extent was at church and there were people who quit believing me there because they just couldn't stand to hear something so, so horrendous. So, um, but as it's been a broader circle of people and as I've not needed to tell people details, you know, that's, that's helped too. Um, but people in general are going to believe you. That's what I believe. That's what I have found to be true for me. I think it helps, too, that there's more of us out there publicly speaking on it. So, yeah. you know, like in the 90s, when it started coming up, you know, you when I started dealing with it, you dealt with it a bit before me. There wasn't anything, you know, we, right. it was just, oh, no, that doesn't happen. Or that's that was debunked in the 80s, you know going to, I didn't find therapists that knew anything about it ahead of time. So it was right. a different process than it is now. Well, I think a part of what's changed too is people know about familial sex trafficking is there's so much attention to child sex trafficking, just human trafficking in general and um, the trafficking of children and um, especially sex trafficking. And Familial, familial sex trafficking, what I found is about half of the survivors of familial sex trafficking were ritualistically abused. So it's a, wow. it's, it's a segment within the child sex trafficking um, world, but it's becoming a more vocal segment, familial sex trafficking, someone who is sex trafficked by a relative. And uh, what happens with some satanic ritual abuse survivors is they don't, they've never seen money exchange hands. But my experience, because my, um, my father, um, my parents produced child pornography, is that child pornography, if you sell child pornography, and that is considered child sex trafficking. But also I saw money exchange hands. But um, yeah, if you, if you look at the possibility that there may have been financial gain, then, um, or even if you don't know if there is, still becoming aware under the familial sex trafficking, I think there's going to be more and more services available under that arena. And I am in a private Facebook group for survivors of familial sex trafficking. If 
viewers want to know more about that, you can contact me um, because we're allowed to invite new members into the group. That's good. I know there's a lot of sex trafficked individuals that may not have been sex trafficked by their family, but in the midst of, you know, who ended up with them at different times were also ritually abused because somebody bought them for that. So definitely. Yeah. yeah. So in, in, uh, um, yeah. And I don't know if I'm the Rebecca Binder has done a huge amount of work and, um, uh, she's a sex trafficking survivor, and um, uh, so she was trafficked as an adult, but she has services available for Christians, uh, for all people, but some of her services are especially focused toward Christians. Um, but yeah, there's a lot available um, as far as in, uh, the services are being more available in the sex trafficking arena than the satanic ritual abuse. Um, but really, many of us were trafficked. Many uh, survivors of ritualistic abuse were trafficked. And, and it's considered trafficking even if no money exchanged hands. If, um, if for instance, um, my parents had a higher status within their community because they trafficked, um, then, then that is another form. If, if they receive more power or um, for instance, someone I know, his father was a uh, physician, really wealthy, but his father wanted access to more child victims. So that's why it was an exchange and, and that's sex trafficking as well. Yeah, I've never really thought of myself as sex trafficked, but I guess I need to think through that one a little bit because my dad had enough money to retire at 50 and there's no way, you mm -hmm. know, like where did all that money come from? He went from a very small house to like really expensive house, very expensive part of town. All of a sudden he's retiring. It's like, where did this money come from? This makes no sense. But they they certainly find ways to profit from the SRA and putting their children exactly. in it. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly. generational also. It's expected you're going to produce your children exactly. for it, but they get compensated for it. Right. There's well. money to be made in it. There's huge amounts of money to be made in it. So, right. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that. I, I think for me, that was one thing that made it easier to be believed, or maybe to believe myself, the fact that I knew, because I do remember them um, sending out uh, photographs of, of me, um, child pornography, and, uh, and everyone knows child pornography exists. I mean, you can't say, no, there's no child pornography. Right. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on today, and I hope my viewers connect with your websites and your page and, you know, get your memoirs and, and watch your, your films and uh, just keep going. I Thank am just you. so impressed by you and I'm honored that you took the time to be with us today. Thank you.